0: What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra low net carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another edition of WrestleNomics Radio. I'm Brandon Thurston, calling from Buffalo, New York. On demand. It is March 20th, 2020, in the time of the coronavirus. It doesn't look like Tampa Bay will be hosting any wrestling events in the first week of April. WWE events, Wrestlemania, will not be happening there. WrestleCon events will not be happening there. Collective events will not be happening there. WN events will not be happening there. The public NFL draft in Las Vegas on April 23rd to 25th has been cancelled, it will happen to televise in some form. The National Wrestling Alliance announced that it is cancelling or at least postponing Crockett Cup and NWA Power events through April. The CDC said don't gather in groups of more than 50. The President of the United States says don't gather in groups of more than 10. The XFL has suspended its season. The US stock market, the gains that the major indexes have seen since 2017, Have been wiped off the board largely w stock for a few minutes there was trading under 30 dollars but has made a comeback as the week has gone on now trading at about 36 dollars on thursday wb put out this press release headlined wrestlemania too big for just one night dateline stanford connecticut wrestlemania for the first time ever will be held as a two-night event streaming on saturday april 4th and sunday april 5th at 7 p.m eastern on the WWE Network, and available on pay-per-view. The two-night pop culture extravaganza will be hosted by three-time Super Bowl champion Rob Gronkowski. It's now being reported that WrestleMania will take place maybe from multiple locations. Maybe it'll be some gimmick matches on multiple sets. Maybe it'll be taped in advance. Maybe it'll be live. Who knows? Post Wrestling's reporting that WWE will be taping multiple episodes of Raw and SmackDown, enough to get them up to WrestleMania, taping them in advance and airing them on a later date in their usual time slots. Post Wrestling also reporting that ESPN, with a lack of any live sports content, with all major sports out of commission, they'll be airing WrestleMania, past WrestleManias, for the next few Sundays. WrestleMania 30, 32, and 35. For the most part, viewership is holding up so far. SmackDown, last week Friday, was up 5.5% from the prior week. Raw was up 8% from the prior week. Raw doing 2.3 million viewers. SmackDown doing about 2.6 million viewers. It'll be interesting to see if that carries over for SmackDown tonight. Vince reportedly doesn't like the empty arena matches. On Wednesday night, though, AEW did its best rating since January. Viewership was up 21% from the week prior. NXT, which did no new matches, which did a series of profile pieces, did its lowest viewership ever on the USA Network. AEW doing 930,000 viewers. NXT doing... 540,000. AEW Diamond has been beating NXT on most weeks uh, since their competition started in October. AEW was ahead of NXT by one of the widest margins yet. So it'll be interesting to see how the viewership holds up for any of these programs. I don't have a great idea of whether it's going to go one way or the other. On one hand, these are programs that have no fans at them. They try to do empty arena matches uh, on WWE. It was very weird. Uh, The prevailing thought is that AEW did a better job of it. I think there's some curiosity factor from viewers who may be tuning in Just to see how it's going with no fans. Does that last through multiple weeks? On the other hand, it's not like there's any live sports going on to create competition for these programs. And additionally, it's not like anybody's leaving their house to do something else at night. Everyone's kind of stuck in front of their TV sets. So, as long as WWE and AEW continue to deliver programming, I imagine they're still going to continue to receive payments from their TV partners. I doubt that their TV deals, I doubt that the contracts stipulate that the wrestling events have to be in front of live crowds. A risk factor it seems inherent in uh, continuing on with these programs for both AEW and WWE, which was brought up in a report by JP Morgan as well in their analysis of uh, W stock. Not necessarily a prohibitive risk, but something to keep in mind that could make things go even more haywire and could be a reason why W is looking at taping a lot of content in advance here, which is what if uh, some member of your crew or one of the wrestlers, does come down with coronavirus, does test positive, which then leads to everyone who came in contact with that person who probably include other members of crew and talent. Those people have to go into isolation until they can be tested. Unless, of course, uh, these organizations can get Utah Jazz-like access to quick testing, which seems to be very scarce at the moment in the United States. So investment bank J.P. Morgan put out its report on the 18th of March on W Stock. J.P. Morgan is moving its target price for W Stock from $47 to $42. Again, WB is currently trading at $36. JP Morgan moves its adjusted Ouida projection for 2020 from its previous projection of $283 million down to $261 million. Another investment firm, Guggenheim, has moved its adjusted Ouida projection for WB from $300 million to $272 million. Guggenheim moves the stock price target from sixty-five. million down to sixty, that in a report from the seventeenth. You may remember last week in response to the COVID nineteen outbreak, W withdrew its Q one and full year guidance, where W had previously projected twenty twenty Oebda, adjusted OEBDA, of two hundred and fifty to three hundred million. So due to canceling events, the effects on uh live event division, the effect to venue merchandise, those projections now seem out of reach. JP Morgan writes And this is David Kronoski, CFA. We're updating our model for WWE following the company's decision to move live televised events, including WrestleMania, to its performance center in Orlando. At this point, the show goes on, albeit without spectators. Though we don't know of any clause in WWE's contracts with television partners that require it to perform in front of an actual audience. JP Morgan notes that media partners are probably very happy to have some live sports content with other leagues shut down. And the firm notes the risk, which they say, the risk ahead would be superstars falling ill, And being unable to perform or local health officials deciding even the limited crew operating these events is too much of a public risk, end quote. Karnofsky goes on to write, on the negative side, we think the transformative deal for the network teased by the company on its last earnings call is delayed for the time being as potential partners likely reevaluate how the public health crisis will impact the media ecosystem. And I do agree with that. I think uh, WB's negotiations with maybe Peacock, maybe ESPN Plus, maybe Amazon uh, to sell its pay-per-views. Uh, to a major streaming service, possibly taking them off the network. I think that's been disrupted at this point in all likelihood. I would venture to guess that this is something that's going to be probably held off until maybe much later in the year, maybe not even until next year when, it, when um, WrestleMania is coming up again. JP Morgan is modeling that WWE will be uh, putting off events through May. This will mean uh, no international shows. WWE had uh, international events lined up for Europe and I believe for South Africa, which I read have been postponed to September. So that affects the entire live events division, North American ticket sales, international ticket sales, the associated advertising and sponsorship segment that W breaks out for live events. JP Morgan even thinks that uh, the advertising and sponsorship that is associated with a full production of WrestleMania, the opportunity won't be there. They're cutting that estimate down by 25% for advertising and sponsorship ads and sponsors that they break out for both media individually and for live events for live events it's less than a million for every quarter going back through at least 2017 but for media it's uh for last year it was 11 million q1 19 million 15 million 28 million in q4 so jp morgan thinks that some of that takes a hit due to a lack of full production of wrestlemania by 25 percent uh, I'm, I'm not as sure about that. I will be a little bit more optimistic, especially now considering that WWE is stretching WrestleMania across two days. I guess I, I don't see why they wouldn't be able to get all the media advertising and sponsorship in there. JP Morgan modeling that venue merch is down by 85%, which sounds about right considering they're modeling that uh, all of April and May are out. April would be the, the biggest month definitely because it contains the entire WrestleMania week. That's out with only the possibility of June remaining. The wild card, they say. Is the W network and I would agree with that assessment uh, that they have here. Usually WrestleMania provides a boost in subscribers for Q2 with the peak of that piece of business ha- happening the day after WrestleMania with some cancellations to follow in quarters after that. I, gu- I guess I think I'll, we'll see W network subscribers that are lower than last year just due to the overall lack of popularity in WWE. That seems to be trending downward year over year in uh Just about every metric that I can measure, including W Network subscribers. But I think due to the the lack of any other sports out there and the lack of just about anything else to do with people stuck inside their homes, I think that is to the benefit of the W Network subscribership. So last year, we see if day after WrestleMania, 1.77 million paid subscribers, average paid subs of 1.69. I think we'll see it down a few percent from that in both areas, both in uh, average subscribers and Number of subscribers after WrestleMania, immediate post-Mania subs maybe in the area of 1.6 to 1.7 million. That would be my guess. Maybe average subscribers of 1.65 for Q2. That's look. That looks like what we modeled last time when we were looking at the possibility of WrestleMania going on as it was. So I guess I think whatever lack of interest there is because it's in you know not the usual venues with actual fans there is probably offset by the lack of competition for. People to do just other things with their time, both the lack of competition from live sports and the lack of anything else to do because people are stuck in their homes, which it certainly looks like that's going to be the case, at least in the U.S., uh, through April 5th. So that's the latest in the WWE financial world. And when we come back from this break, we will look at whether or not Triple H Paul Levesque was demoted in his corporate role for WWE. Performance Center tonight for the first time ever in front of no WWE fans. Back here at ringside. Listen, we hear all the time about how busy you are, Yeah, but you're back, so you're really not that busy tonight. No, I'm not really that busy at all. I'm the only man in the history of the world that can get demoted and get busier, <laughs> apparently. I don't know, but here I am. It only took you the end of one segment, Michael Cole, like 30 seconds, one read for the internet to blow up and say, please get out there and save this show. Here I am. So I I'm get, back. So I, I got to do what gonna, you got to do. I guess in we're going to shoot tonight, and I uh, want to talk about shoot fights. How about what happened this past Sunday? Paul Triple H Levesque has served as our Executive Vice President of Global Talent, Strategy, and Development since February 2020. And prior thereto was Executive Vice President of Talent, Live Events, and Creative since August 2011. That is what was written in the W Proxy Statement that was published on March 6th. You can see that at uh, at corporate.w.com. Go into the section that says SEC Filings. And other documents. So Triple H has a new title. No longer is he Executive Vice President of Talent Live Events and Creative, which he had been since 2011. And now he is the Executive Vice President of Global Talent Strategy and Development. This paragraph goes on. In his current role, he oversees the company's talent relations and talent development departments. Additionally, Mr. Levesque plays an integral role in the company's creative process, helping shape the creative direction and storylines of W's programming. Mr. Levesque is revolutionizing the business with his global recruiting strategy and development training processes. In order to create a platform for future success, he established the company's state-of-the-art training facility, the WWE Performance Center, which paved the way for WWE's third global brand, NXT. Mr. LeVec debuted as a WWE superstar. Okay, that's just telling you who he is. He does counter-cure stuff, and he's the son-in-law of Vince McMahon, and he's married to Stephanie, okay? He has held the WWE Heavyweight Championship title 14 times. It really does say that. So the point is this, uh, I posted this, online uh on Twitter and i led to some people speculating that Triple H has been demoted and I was skeptical uh later in the week Dave Meltzer's Wrestling Observer Newsletter writes uh, in the wb section after co-presidents Michelle Wilson and George Barrios were fired people in the company continually hinted that something almost as big was being kept quiet that happened in December but said it would have to come out when the company made it clear the company never made it clear but a recent SEC filing When giving Levesque's new title, essentially opened the door for questions. Levesque was the head of talent relations, his main job, and he he also oversaw many other departments in his role as EVP of talent, live events, and creative. So he was moved away from being in charge of talent, and his main duties are now NXT, selling NXT TV rights overseas, and expanding NXT globally. Meltzer goes on to write, Brad Blum, uh, Vince McMahon's chief of staff, took over Levesque's other duties as executive vice president of operations, overseeing the divisions Levesque was formerly overseeing. It's a change. This is still Meltzer. There, there are those internally and externally who have called it a quiet demotion. The labeling of his new title gives the impression that he's the guy negotiating with talent. But that is one of the things he was removed from doing. Mark Brown no longer reports to Levesque and now reports to Blum. Either way, it is curious that this was kept quiet for nearly four months. End quote. Uh, so, I don't know. It's a, this is strangely written, as usual, by, by Dave. Um, it seems like Dave may know more than he's quite making clear. Uh, He's he's making it sound like there was something that happened in December and that he's sure that this is it, I guess. The the paragraph here about what Paul Levesque's role is in the company seems to contradict what Dave's saying, but maybe Dave knows more. Um, He's saying that Triple H is no longer overseeing talent relations. Now, in the SEC filing, it says, in his current role, he oversees the company's talent relations and talent development departments. Again, Dave could just know better, but it says right there that he's... Uh, in his current role he oversees talent relations and talent development in the clip that you just heard when while triple h was on smackdown on commentary he seemed to acknowledge at least the rumors or speculation that he had been demoted so there you go i have no idea um this again this information is from wb's sec filing the uh what is the, the form number here a proxy statement is a def 14a this is a document that comes out every march and it lists among other things it shows what the top five executives in WB uh, how they are compensated. It shows how many shares of stock uh, that the top owners have. So, a proxy statement, my understanding is that it, it shows the compensation for the top five officers or executives in the company. And the top five are determined basically by the top most highly, the top five most highly compensated officers in the company. So, uh, it's going to include the CEO, number one. The CFO or similar role, number two. So in WB's case, Vince McMahon is the CEO. Uh, Formerly, George Berrios was the CFO, but for 2019, he was in a role similar to the CFO. So George Berrios is the other one. The other three for WB, uh, the top most compensated officers this year, were Paul Levesque, uh, Michelle Wilson, and Stephanie McMahon. In prior years recently, for I, I believe the last few years... Kevin Dunn was among the top five. Not among the top five for 2019. Instead, Stephanie McMahon in in his place. We also learn what Triple H makes in terms of compensation for his role as a performer, as well as that for uh, Stephanie McMahon for her role as a performer on air. So, WWE corporate executives are compensated in terms of salary. They also get stock rewards. They also get something called non-equity incentive plan compensation. And then there's some other compensation, which comes in the form of 401k contributions. And in the case of Paul Levesque and Stephanie McMahon is in the form of uh, fees that they get related to their performance uh, as on-air personalities. So Vince McMahon was paid in total $3.5 million in 2019. That does not include the uh, large dividend payments that he gets. So like some publicly traded companies, WB pays a quarterly dividend of $0.12 cents per quarter. Vince owns, at this point, about 28 million shares of WE, and that's a little bit fewer shares than he's owned in the past because he's cashed out a lot of his stock to fund the XFL, and he's periodically made other sales in years prior. But if you take the roughly 28 million, do- uh, 28 million shares of WB stock that Vince McMahon holds and you multiply that by $0.12, cents, then he gets a quarterly payment of roughly 3 point, uh, $3.3, 3400000 million. Dollars. So that's, if you multiply that by four, to get an idea of what he makes in an entire year, just from dividend payments, it's $13 million. So $13 million in dividends, which is not listed in the proxy statement, and which in fact is not reported anywhere. But we know it is reported how many shares Vince holds, and it is reported that WWE pays out a dividend of 12 cents every quarter. So that's just a matter of multiplication. But other than those dividend payments, again, Vince makes $3.5 million. These other, uh, corporate offers, by the way, they also own stock. Uh, Stephanie owns quite a bit, but no one owns quite as much as, as Vince does. So in terms of total compensation, Paul Levesque comes in number two with $3.3 million in total compensation, uh, 700,000 of that coming from his salary and, uh, 2 million of that coming from other compensation, which largely includes his compensation as a performer for the matches he had, including those in Saudi Arabia and WrestleMania. Stephanie McMahon made $2 million in total compensation, $700,000 for her role as a executive, uh, the exact same salary as her uh, husband, Paul Levesque, and she made just over $700,000 as a performer. After Triple H and Stephanie are the now ousted co-presidents George Barrios and Michelle Wilson, who made exactly the same amount of money in 2019, about $1.8 million. And they, too, had identical salaries of $925,000. Now, Barrios and Wilson were apparently fired uh, in February, and the proxy statement tells us what their severance was. In fact, it, it tells us every year what it, what the severance packages would be for the top five officers in the event that they were terminated for cause or were uh, had constructive termination following a change in control. So we learn here that Barrios and Wilson each over 18 months get a compensation of $1.4 million. And they also continue to get health, accident, and life insurance, not to mention a bonus of $176,000. So probably more than most of the people who are listening to this make in a, in a year. Then again, I know that WrestleNomics is a huge hit with the absurdly rich traders on Wall Street. But anyway, so that's that's a, a quick review of some of the interesting information we learned from the proxy statement. Oh, by the way, we also do know what, what Shane McMahon gets paid since he's a family member that gets disclosed as part of this document. Again, Shane McMahon, a former former corporate uh, executive within WWE, no longer, though. Uh, he left the company in, as an employee, I believe, in 2009 or so. Yes, there's, a, there's an October 16, 2009 press release that announced Shane McMahon, executive vice president of global media had tendered his resignation effective January 1, 2010. And then a few years ago, he returned to WB as a performer only. And uh, each year since he's been a performer, his uh, compensation as a performer has been disclosed in this proxy statement. And there's just a short paragraph here, two sentences. It says, Shane B. McMahon is the son of Vincent McMahon, brother of Stephanie McMahon, and brother-in-law of Paul Levesque. In 2019, Shane McMahon was a performer for the company, for which he received performance fees and royalty fees. Aggregating approximately two million eighty-two thousand eleven dollars. So there's that. The main point I was trying to get back to, though, is: it has Triple H been demoted? I don't know. Uh, that this tells us about 2019. I guess if, when this proxy statement comes out in March 2021, telling us about the year of 2020, if we see that Paul Levesque is no longer among the top five corporate executives. If someone else is in his place and is getting paid more than him, then I, I suppose it is a demotion. Or if, as I said at one point on Twitter, if we find out that he is, uh, you know, has substantially less responsibility, then I would say, sure, he could call this a demotion. But I don't know. And uh, Triple H doesn't make it any more clear by uh, making his funny comment and apparently hasn't tried to make any public statement to set the record straight. Maybe that's something that uh, he should be asked about on the next NXT media conference call. He should be asked about whether or not it actually is a demotion, whether or not he actually has less responsibility, and what exactly the changes are in terms of what his responsibilities are under this new title versus his prior title. Welcome to Friday Night Smackdown on Fox. Ladies and gentlemen, for the first time ever, WWE superstars will entertain you tonight in front of an empty arena. It's Friday Night Smackdown on Fox, presented by... And now for the remainder of this podcast, this will be simulcast uh, in both audio form for the Voices of Wrestling Podcasting Network and for YouTube with a visual element for all those watching on YouTube. So since the coronavirus has everyone quarantined and isolated and indoors where they can go nowhere but inside the four walls of their home, no crowds can congregate, no audiences can get together, no wrestling events can happen, no sports events can happen. Well, unless they're in empty buildings. So with that, I figured we would revisit some of the largest attendances in pro wrestling history. What are the biggest attendances in all of pro wrestling history? And here they are listed in an Excel spreadsheet for those of you who can see it. So we've got how many how many listed here. I'm going to show a uh, a, a graph as well. But uh, some of these attendances are uh, are total attendances. It's hard to say what they really mean. When we talk about attendance, I think it's important to to point out before we go any further that when someone says attendance, there are. M- different ways to uh, to look at attendance. Sometimes when people are talking about attendance they're talking about the paid attendance, the number of tickets that were sold for an event. That's one way of measuring attendance. Then sometimes people are talking about the number of people that are in the building and sometimes they're even trying to include the staff, the personnel, the workers, the wrestlers, etc. as well as the spectators. And uh so so sometimes you're talking about the people who paid for tickets. Sometimes you're talking about the people who paid for tickets plus the comps, the people who were there for free. Sometimes you're talking about the people who paid for tickets, who, who were there as comps and the people who are working the event in whatever capacity, not to mention that attendances throughout wrestling history and probably other sports have been inflated, fabricated, lied about, exaggerated, what have you, including probably some of the numbers here. Uh, in some cases I do have paid attendance listed, but anyway, Let's go through maybe the top ten or so, maybe the top twenty. Let's just start way down here uh, at the bottom here. You, we've got you know many of the the leading attendances for a number of years were from New Japan Pro Wrestling in the Tokyo Dome uh, with attendances reported upwards of fifty thousand, sixty thousand. I guess because the Inoki Retirement Show in nineteen ninety eight had to be the biggest uh, wrestling show. Uh, of all time at least in Japanese history that had to get a reported attendance of 70,000. Um it turns out what we know about the Tokyo Dome at this point is that for a wrestling event on a wrestling configuration it probably doesn't hold much more than maybe 50,000. But yet here we have all of these if we uh, I don't want to go too crazy with this but let's see what happens. If I if I can sort just by New Japan Pro Wrestling. Uh let's see what 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 what, what we get here just get this chart out of the way. Hopefully I can recover that later when I do want to show it, but you can see all the Tokyo dome events here and they've got attendances of 57,000, 54,000. Maybe I have edited this since, uh, yeah. Okay. I have changed this. The announced number, for example, for this April 4th, 1998 show, which was the Inoki retirement show, uh, I'm pretty sure that was 70,000, but we've got something maybe more reasonable here, 57,000 with a really 57,000 people in the building. I don't know. I don't know if we even probably sort this to to show all promotions. But let's choose a venue of the Tokyo Dome. So we need to deselect all the other venues and just select the Tokyo Dome for the venue. And there were even some all Japan shows here. There should be Noah here. Noah is, is left out here. So I'm sourcing this information from ProWrestlingHistory.com, and I don't think now if, if I look at the actual Excel file that is, you can find, if you Google Excel ProWrestlingHistory.com, you will find a really useful spreadsheet uh, with a file name Event Info, which I'll drag into the view here, and just just to double check to see if they have the uh, if they have the Noah shows in here because no- Noah ran a couple, at least two Tokyo Dome shows, in 2005 in 2004. And, uh, let's see. Is, is there any Noah here? There is Noah here. Okay. So where are the Noah shows? Okay. Noah had reported attendances 52,000 for 2005, 50,000 for 2004. And for some reason that didn't make my, uh, my, my sheet here. But anyway, let's see. So let's, let's, first of all, let's just talk about, we're going to talk about two things here. The biggest attendances of all time, all the caveats that come with that. And then secondly, we're going to talk about the biggest gates of all time. The biggest money events as a live event of all time. So we take away the filter here for the venue and we just sort this by total attendance. <sighs> at the top of the list, we have the North Korea events at Mayday May Stadium in 1995. These are listed in, in the spreadsheet as New Japan events. They're kind of, you know, this is the collision in Korea. So WCW is working with New Japan for this. Supposedly, so this is a two-day event Uh April 28th, 1995, April 29th, 1995, supposedly 165,000 people for the first day, supposedly 190,000 people for the second day. Of course, the big matches on here on the first day, Shinya Hashimoto versus Scott Norton on the second day of the main event, Ric Flair versus Antonio Inoki, I believe in their only meeting. Um, so these are big events, probably, you know, the, the big thing theme we're going to encounter here is that there are... There are let's let's say normal wrestling events that actually you know in a capitalistic manner uh, market themselves and try to sell tickets and have drawn big crowds and have drawn big gates. And then there are uh, in 1995 this North Korea situation, and then in modern times the Saudi Arabia situation where we have uh, authoritarian governments basically paying for very large wrestling events that are attended by people who may or may not have. Chosen of their own volition to go to the show. But there they were. Um, were there really this many people? Over 100,000 people. Almost two thousand, two hundred thousand people there on the second day. I have no idea. I'm sure the crowds were large. But uh, the prevailing uh, conclusion seems to be that many of the people in, in, uh, in Pyongyang at Mayday Stadium on these days were probably directed to go to the events. That's what they were made to do that day. <clears throat> We have reports, I believe these are extracted from the Russian observer of $7.5 million on the first day, $8.5 million on the second day. Uh, if you adjust that to inflation, that's $12.5 million, $14.1 million. Uh, is, Are these numbers real? I have no idea. And who's, who's going to extract the, the, the real truth from uh, uh, something that happened in 1995 in the Democratic People's Republic of North Korea, or of, of Korea, excuse me. Um, but when it comes to more normal events that are not used as instruments of propaganda, the largest attendance in pro wrestling history, and this is what I believe, it is AT&T Stadium, WrestleMania 32, attended by this is from an observer report, maybe a total attendance of ninety three thousand seven hundred seventy uh, paid attendance, I believe to be eighty thousand uh, turnstile count, uh, according to the Arlington Police, which is what they told me a couple years ago when I emailed them was exactly if I if I pull up the uh, the paid WrestleMania attendance Google sheet. Uh, I've got a note in here that reminds me what it is here. If we scroll over, 80,709. Of course, the announced attendance over 100,000, 101,763. According to even Vince McMahon on a WB earnings conference call, uh, Vince McMahon said himself that the 101,000 was not the paid attendance, but it include ushers and ticket takers and things of that nature. So after that, we have the Wembley Stadium SummerSlam 1992 with almost 97,000. Uh, total attendance again. Not sure what the paid is there. And then after that, the Silver Dome with its seventy-eight thousand. Uh, of course, the announced attendance for that was. Let me see if I know it. Ninety-three thousand one hundred and seventy-nine, or something like that. Let's see here. Ninety-three thousand one hundred and seventy-three, uh, and that is Google says that is disputed, and that is a matter of. of uh, <laughs> and if you argue about that in the right place, you will be offending someone's religion. Ninety-three thousand one hundred and seventy-three, according to the Wrestling Observer Newsletter, seventy-eight thousand. Um, when when I've looked at, we have discussed this on earlier episodes of WrestleNomics, and we have looked at pictures such as the one I'm about to open and put on the screen here. When we have, oh, here's a, here's an article by David Bickenspan that has, I believe, a large picture of the Silver Dome in 1987 for WrestleMania three We make that even bigger here. So I believe that this this audience probably has somewhere right in between 78,000 and 93,000 which I think turns out to be about 86,000 maybe total attendance maybe that includes comps so maybe the paid was 78,000 so so after the much debated and very contentious WrestleMania 3 attendance we have 2008 the Citrus Bowl with its announced attendance of uh 74,635 and we know Uh, In in an SEC filing, W. uh, rarely disclosed the actual precise, probably rounded to the nearest hundred, attendance of WrestleMania. This is WrestleMania. What number WrestleMania was this? I don't know. 2008. I'm sure someone out there is screaming, telling me what number that is. But that is, that's well, got to be 24, right? Because 23 is 2007 with Trump. So anyway, 63,100 is the actual paid attendance that is in an SEC filing. After that, we have the the Trump Mania 2007 WrestleMania WrestleMania 23 of 74,287. Again, that's that's an announced number. That's probably up from what even the comps I would guess comps plus paid is probably a, a bit less than that. Uh, then we have this most recent WrestleMania at MetLife Stadium. 74,000. Uh, the, the announced attendance was, was higher than that, wasn't it? If we pull out the, uh, here we go. The announced attendance for the most recent WrestleMania 2019 was 82,265. And I believe that these numbers here in this total attendance column are extracted from the Wrestling Observer. But the paid attendance, we know because of KPIs, uh, that the paid attendance was closer to 63,000. How do I know that? Uh, because in WWE's KPIs, they, always publish the average attendance for North America for the quarter with WrestleMania and without WrestleMania. And they also publish the number of events that they do. In this Google Sheet, I can do the math here. You can find this Google Sheet linked on WrestleNomics.com if you want to check over the math yourself. And uh, we can we learn from this that the paid attendance had to be between the ranges of about 60,400 and 65,500. And the median of that is 63,000. And again, for the uh, much disputed WrestleMania 32 attendance, we know that the paid attendance must have been between about 77,000 and 83,000, the median of that being about 80,000. So continuing on, we'll do a few more here. Uh, The MetLife Stadium WrestleMania uh, in 2013 with 72,000. And that's probably an observer number. Let's see if we pull up the the 2013 WrestleMania in the Google sheet here. Going back to 13, the announced attendance was 80,676. So this is probably more of an idea of how many were in the building. And then KPIs reveal that the paid attendance was 69,000. Going back to 2002 in the Toronto Sky Dome, 68,237. AstroDome, the uh, the famous WrestleMania. X seven sixty seven thousand nine hundred twenty five. So attendance, uh, it's really hard to, in most cases, get an idea of what the actual attendance was. For the most recent WrestleManias, again, we do have a pretty good idea of what the paid attendance was within a few thousand, with plus or minus a few thousand. Uh, we we know what those attendances, the paid attendances are. Harder to say what the actual number of people in the building was. If you want to include comps in that, um, in the case of WrestleMania thirty two, we do know it's a, a bit over. 80,000 uh, through the turnstiles, according to the Arlington police. And uh, just to answer answer some common questions that come up here, the frequently asked questions, uh, people often want to know, how can WWE lie about their WrestleMania tenants when they're a publicly traded company? The investors would sue them if they were lying, so they must be telling the truth about 101,763,000 people at WrestleMania 32. So my understanding of the situation is that the WWE... Reports their attendance on, t- on television, yes, on the broadcast. But the main thing that the investors care about is not necessarily the attendance, but the amount of money that was generated from the attendance. So WWE puts out a press release, usually that night or the next day after WrestleMania. And it says, this is how many people we drew. And they restate that number that they announced on television. And But then they also name the gate, how much money uh, was generated through ticket sales. And that, I believe, to be a legitimate number so in the case of wrestlemania 32 which is somewhere on here the the number that they put in the press release was 17 million 300 and i have no reason to believe that that is a fabricated or exaggerated or inflated number so if WWE was lying about how much revenue they were bringing in that that would be a serious legal problem for them but uh, to exaggerate about attendance apparently not as big of a deal and in, in fact i think I think we have a caller on the line uh, who's hold up somewhere in Stanford, Connecticut, who wants to weigh in on this. In addition to that, just a little bit more on WrestleMania, we were proud to set our attendance record of over 100,000, which includes, by the way, uh, ushers and ticket takers and, and all of that. It wasn't 101,000 paid, but nonetheless, it was a record for. Us. So there's Vince McMahon on an earnings report clarifying that the 100 and 100,000 number for WrestleMania 32 included ushers and ticket takers and things of that nature so again attendance is difficult to talk about but gate we know with with greater certainty so i have a a graph that i put on a coffee mug in fact uh where did it go and there are wrestlenomics listeners around the world who uh, who have that same coffee mug and it has the uh the attendances for wrestlemania where is that it's this image right here that basically shows the last, what is this, the last, how many WrestleManias is that? 12 WrestleManias. Actually, the coffee mug has the last 11 WrestleManias on it. But it shows a column graph comparing the W announced number for each WrestleMania to the known paid attendance or the, the median of the range that is known. So moving on to the biggest pro-wrestling gates of all time. The top 10 biggest pro-wrestling gates of all time adjusted for inflation to 2019 USD. And we have... At number 10, the New Japan Riki Choshu Retirement Show on January 4th, 1998 drew $6 million at the time, which if you convert to uh, to modern dollars is about $9.4 million. After that, another Tokyo Dome show, the New Japan vs. UWFI show, which was run by New Japan in the dying days of UWFI. This one main evented by Kijimuto vs. Nobuhiko Takada, drawing about $10 million in modern U.S. dollars. Then after that, WrestleMania 30 from New Orleans in the Superdome, drawing about $10.5 million. And that was main evented by Daniel Bryan, Randy Orton, Batista in the three-way. And the uh, the Undertaker versus Brock Lesnar streak-ending match. Uh, of course, no one knew it was going to end the streak ahead of time. Big surprise. But uh, after that, the Antonio Inoki Retirement Show in 1998, drawing about $10.9 million in modern currency. And then after that, it's all WrestleMania's. Uh, we have got WrestleMania 29 in East Rutherford, New Jersey, which was main evented by The Rock and Cena rematch. About 13 million dollars there. The WrestleMania 31 in 2015. That's in Levi Stadium in Santa Clara, California. Main evented by Roman Reigns and Brock Lesnar. Of course, you got Seth Rollins running in there to cash in the money in the bank and become champion. 13 and a half million dollars in modern currency. And WrestleMania in 2018, which was where was that? That was in the Superdome as well. And that was, God, who was in that? I I have such a terrible memory for uh, another Lesnar-Reigns main event. And Undertaker versus Cena speculated, right? And that's where Ronda Rousey has her first match, and a tag match against, uh, with Kurt Angle versus Triple H and Stephanie. And then 2017, the year before that, that that one's in Orlando with $15 million. And who was on top in that? Lesnar versus Goldberg. And that's Undertaker versus Reigns. I think, to... Go into a little bit of depth here. I think by now, these, these late WrestleManias are less about who's on top and more about the legacy and brand value of WrestleMania. A lot of these tickets being sold well ahead of time of any matches being announced. So I don't want to mislead people and, and tell people that this is why it drew. Although Roman Reigns is on top in a lot of these, isn't he? Uh, WrestleMania 35 in 2019, the most recent WrestleMania. Does anyone remember what was on WrestleMania last year? Let's see. WrestleMania 35 in MetLife Stadium, Rod Rousey versus Becky Lynch versus Charlotte, and. Uh, Seth Rollins versus Brock Lesnar, right? Probably other stuff. And then WrestleMania 32 is the the biggest pro wrestling gate of all time. $17.3 million at the time. And if you bring that up for some inflation, that's $18.3 million. And that has, what, Triple H versus Roman Reigns on top. What else? What else does that have on top? So I'm more bringing this up to let us remember uh, what was on this event. Undertaker versus Shane in the Hell in the Cell. With Shane falling off the top of the Hell in the Cell. So that is the the... Biggest money gate of all time. Now, when you think about how much an event draws, especially when when uh, things are m- more comparable in the era of, say, the 90s, the 2000s, going up to 2013, when you had pay-per-view, uh, or if you had closed circuit with the earlier WrestleManias and the earlier StarCades, you think about how much uh, an event drew. You, know, you want to add in not just ticket sales, but pay-per-view revenue that was generated, maybe a merchandise that was generated. In more modern WrestleMania is maybe you want to lump in even the uh, the the adjacent events that are that are piggybacking off of WrestleMania like NXT TakeOver like Hall of Fame, like the Raw and, and the SmackDown that are that are running uh, on the same week. And maybe even the indie events, even though those are obviously different organizations. Which is the thing about how much money WrestleMania is drawing. And of course every year uh, after WrestleMania W puts out this press release based on some survey that that tells you how much how many hundreds of millions of dollars were generated for the local economy in terms of they're trying to consider, calculate the money that was contributed to hotels and to restaurants and things like that, and things of that nature. But uh, if we count the government shows, let's call them, and uh, count the North Korea shows, and count the Saudi Arabia shows, let's see what happens to this graph. There we go. So to include the the North Korea and Saudi Arabia shows, we end up with 13 events. Is that right? 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13 events. So if we were just looking at the top 10, this uh, this day two uh, Pyongyang Sports Festival collision in Korea uh, wouldn't make the top 10, but 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10. The, the day one would just barely make the top 10. So day two has got 12.5 million, but day one has got 4.1 million in modern currency. That puts it above WrestleMania 31, 2015, and above WrestleMania 29, 2013. But. I estimate based on uh, WBSEC filings that every – so we're up to one, two, three, four, f- five of the fifth Saudi Arabia show for WB in a, as, as part of the, the 10-year agreement to provide two live events per year to the kingdom of Saudi Arabia. I, it's, it's pretty evident from SEC filings that these events are worth at least $50 million per event. Uh, it, it appears WB is getting late payments uh, – on the last couple events at least. So those events are coming in with apparently some interest or, or something in excess of $50 million, maybe something closer to $60 million. Uh, how do we know this? How do we know that WWE Saudi Arabia events are really worth $50 million, that much more than every WrestleMania ever? Well, let's look at WWE's trending schedules where they report their revenue. Let's make it bigger. And let's look at the the other segment. And you can see in Q2 2018, where the Greatest Royal Rumble, the first big Solder Grave event for WB happens, the other segment under media explodes into sixty point six million dollars, where in prior quarters it had been no higher than twenty million, or more normally, more like nine million, nine million, twelve million, seven million. And if we look at this footnote here we look down at the bottom of the page here it says other forms of media monetization reflect revenues earned from the distribution of other content including but not limited to scripted realities and other in-ring programming as well as theater and direct home video releases so what it's saying there is that this other media segment includes uh, money from reality tv programming uh, money from theatrical stuff which is w studios Money from direct-to-home video releases, which is home entertainment, which used to be broken out separately, but since that's uh, generating less and less money, they've decided, I guess, to roll that into something called other media. But it also includes uh, revenue related to other in-ring programming. So that's where the the W Saudi Arabia money comes in. Okay, and then you see not just in Q two, this is an enormous number, but later on when they go to back to Saudi Arabia for Crown Jewel, it jumps up to sixty three million. Where in the year in the quarter prior it was just 12 million and then in q2 2019 when they go back there again it's 57 million small quarters in events that do not contain a saudi arabia event and then in q4 2019 with the uh i believe it's crown jewel the second time crown jewel 2019 it's up to 56 million dollars so to put this in, in a better visual context here's a column graph showing you the quarters for this other media segment just as this is revenue for other media in all these quarters before 2018, before the Saudi Arabia deal begins, and it never gets higher than 20 or 21 million. And in really good quarters, it's 21 or 17 million, maybe 19 million. But in other quarters, it's 5 million, 7 million, 9 million. And then the, the Saudi deal begins and it skyrockets in certain quarters that contain those big Saudi Arabia events. So that's how we know that. And if we look back at the uh the graph we were looking at just a moment ago so again just to compare and uh th- these numbers could be high- higher could be slightly lower i i i think the the most recent events appear to be worth more than than fifty million uh former co president george Berrios who who was the president at the time uh, on the q three earnings report said that uh they had w had received a payment of i think over sixty million dollars for a uh for that would have been super showdown because apparently the the bureaucracy of the Saudi government to, causes these payments to uh most recently be late and maybe that has something to do with why talent was delayed after that event stuck in Riyadh. So again these are just government shows. I don't know if it's even correct to call these gates in the more traditional sense. WrestleMania 32 is the biggest pro wrestling gate of all time, 17.1 or I'm sorry, 17.3 million dollars closer in 2019 money to 18.3 million dollars. So that's all I wanted to say, The, the atten- just get an idea of what the biggest attendances are of all time, what the biggest money live events were of all time for pro wrestling in this time where we are stuck in our houses, our homes, our apartments, whatever we have. And uh, WrestleMania will not be highly attended. WrestleMania will not be and will not have a huge gate, uh, I estimated. Where's the, the graph for it? to be forced to move WrestleMania out of its expected event or venue of Raymond Game Stadium in Tampa Bay, Florida. So missing out on probably about $16 million on a live gate, somewhere between 15 and 17 probably. Who knows, they could have even set a new pro wrestling gate record. Maybe they would have broken the $17.3 million gate record. I don't know if they would have gotten as high as 18 to break the, the record adjusted for inflation. But missing out on a, in a big gate, maybe around $16 million, missing out on probably an average of $1 million per each of the arena events they would have ran at the former Ice ice is it Igloo the Igloo I think it is the arena in Tampa Bay because they would have ran an NXT TakeOver event they would have ran a Hall of Fame a Raw and a SmackDown I estimate around an average of 1 million per event that's a total of 4 million dollars they're missing out they're missing out on about 3.3 million dollars in any merchandise that they would have expected to sell during the week so the network value is probably saved to a great degree because they're going to go on with Wrestlemania on the day that they plan to do it. But yeah, the, a total of 3 plus 4 plus 16. That's a total of $23 million that WWE is forced to miss out on because of coronavirus. So, I think that's all for WrestleNomics for now. You can follow WrestleNomics on Twitter at WrestleNomics. You can go to WrestleNomics.com and see a lot of the data that's related to a lot of the charts and graphs and tables and figures that we talked about today. You can follow me on Twitter at Brandon Thurston. So, stay safe. Stay, stay healthy. Avoid... COVID-19, and we'll talk to you on Russellomics next time.